Welcome to Virtual Beer Podcast. Grab an online drink with fellow creatives. Virtualbeerpodcast.com. Welcome to the Virtual Beer Podcast. I'm Jan, I'm a photographer based in Rotterdam, and this is where I grab virtual drinks with other creatives. My today's guest is Kate Mischuk, freelance writer and content strategist. And longtime friend and uh, flower chaser. <laughs> yeah, we actually met on an Instameet five years ago, right after we both moved to Holland. We've been friends and photographers and helping each other build our fellow businesses the entire time, actually. So it's been quite the journey. Today, we're going to talk about working from home, traveling after Corona, and probably many other things. But first things first, what are we drinking? Today, I'm drinking a Moscow Mule. It's a very refreshing drink, so good for a nice, a nice hot, warm day like today. I originally planned to drink beer, like I've been saving a bottle of a really strong St. Bernardus, but... Today is like the first really warm day this year and I just, it didn't feel right to drink a very strong beer. Therefore, I am having a champagne cocktail. Oh, fancy. I listened to the Bon Appetit podcast and Delaney said if you have a bottle of cheap bubbly that you don't know what to do with, add some sugar, add some Angostura bitters and garnish with lemon peel so you feel much fancier than you actually are. And what are we drinking too? I'd say... Drinking to week three in quarantine and finally feeling like I might sort of be getting the hang of it. Well, um, good for you. I don't think I'm there yet. I'm drinking to finally starting this podcast because I've been thinking about it since the quarantine started. Virtual beer. So both Kate and I are freelancers. However, I'm a photographer and that means I make money by being around people, which means that currently almost everything I'm doing is canceled. While Kate is a freelance writer and that means that she still has quite a bit of work, I would say. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe even a little bit more than I did a couple of weeks ago. Are people requesting like Corona content? I or? have gotten Corona content requests. So that is some of the work that I've been doing. Although a lot of the other work is just uh, ramped up projects that need to get done by the end of the quarter or taking this opportunity of Corona to just work people to the bone. <laughs> if you work with business clients, like this is a really good time for business owners to, you know, work on their SEO or like ramp up the content for for later. But is there something that it's not a good time for? It's been interesting with my clients who are in the travel sector. Um, at first, I was doing some Corona related content for them. Um, but obviously, because world travel is at a halt, there's this weird pause at the moment where I think people are trying to figure out what should be created right now? Do we go on as normal and just put regular travel content out there or should we really be shifting things because we don't know how long this is going to last? Um, I also have luxury jewelry clients and I think on the heels of a possible recession, they've pulled back on um, some of their work. So at the moment, that's on pause as well. And when it comes to travel content, can you kind of see the, the trend? Uh, what are people doing? Are they continuing with business as usual or are they trying to create something less evergreen? At the beginning, we were definitely creating some Corona content. I did one piece that was really inspiring, covering a hashtag project in Italy to get people to share their views out their windows 
um, which was this really nice light to shine on, obviously, a really devastating situation that's going on in Italy. Um, I also did something about, like, an update on, like, you know, can you get into the U.S. right now? What are their new travel restrictions? Um, But now that it's been a few weeks, you're seeing this pivot uh, where they do want to create some more evergreen content. And I think this is a time where you can do that. And if you have the capacity to ramp it up, you might as well, you know, you get some, like you said before, you can get some good SEO in and you can create things that people come back to while at the same time, you know, putting a Corona spin on it, you know, if you're promoting it in social media um, or even with your title. Yeah. I also think like people are kind of sick of just hearing and reading about Corona all the time. So like, you know, just show me a nice beach and I want to imagine I'm there. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, the thing is, I think that there are two types of people right now in the sense that, yeah, you have these people who want to do like armchair travel. Like they just want to like sit back, pretend that they're on that beach, chilling out, drinking a margarita. And then you have people who just don't even want to look at it because they're so devastated about their trips that have been canceled. Um, And I can definitely see both sides there. So it's an interesting time for travel companies um, or travel publishers because, yeah, you have this very these two very polarized groups, and you're trying to appeal to both of them right now. Sounds very tough, actually. Yeah. Okay, so how are your days different now that you need to stay inside? Yeah, wow. Um, Yeah, they're quite different. My normal morning routine is to wake up, have coffee, watch the news, shower, get dressed, and get out the door. So that usually is about an hour, hour and a half. And then I'm sitting at a cafe for the morning working. I'll usually do some cafe hopping and have lunch out, or I come back, have lunch, and then go back out to another cafe or two. Um, Sometimes I will spend the afternoon working at home, but the problem is I've always liked my apartment, but it's small. It's 30 square meters. I don't have a desk. I have a kitchen island, a couch, and a bed. So um, it can be very easy to get distracted in here. Yeah, good thing about being a freelancer is that in theory, you can work anywhere. But the bad thing is that in theory, you can work anywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) When the lockdown started, you shared... uh, handful of working from home tips uh, on your Instagram stories and they're actually still in your highlights instagram.com slash postcards from Kate Kate with a C what what made you do it uh, why did you why did you share them when I started freelancing I was starting from the ground up and I couldn't afford to sit at a cafe all day every day and just buy coffee um, and then obviously there are times where I do work from home. So I felt like I had some insight to share. And this was really at the start of the quarantine when everyone was starting to have those freakouts of, oh my God, my company just told me I need to take my monitor and I need to go home and I'm going to be working there indefinitely. And I kind of don't know what I'm doing. So I put out a poll asking people if they'd be interested. And, you know, usually a dozen people or, you know, 20 people answer. And I got tons of responses saying, you know, help us. (laughs) I don't know what to do. So I thought, okay, let's put together a little something. Yeah. Working at home usually don't go together. Like if you're, if you're not a freelancer, if you're used to working in an office, you know, those are the two worlds that you can't normally combine. Well, it's something that we do and we get used to. It's still not a natural thing. And it's something that we all need to work at. And what it comes down to is like creating these new habits and these new frameworks for yourself, because without those, 
all hell breaks loose. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you heard of Stephen Cutler? No. Um, I saw some interviews with him, and what he does is basically researching the state of flow and trying to hack it. There are like several factors and several ways you can force yourself to get into the state of flow and actually like, get some meaningful work done. And one of them is actually novelty. And that's something I think that we take for granted, especially like you and me, like we can just grab our laptops and go to a cafe, you know, just change the environment in order to feel more stimulated. Yeah, totally. Routines are nice if you have like a busy day to like just keep a structure but in this particular setting i think they can also be your downfall it's like okay i'm drinking the same coffee every day and sitting in the same place in my apartment and it's just getting too boring and i just zone out yeah totally you lose that stimulation that normally drives you forward funnily i started having my morning coffee in a different part of my house i have this chair that's in the corner and I would normally get up and I would have coffee at the island or sit on the couch. Uh, and now I sit in this corner in this not so comfortable, but really cute looking chair just because it feels different. <laughs> and maybe in two weeks, I'm going to hate sitting here. But for now, I'm happy because it's different. I'm trying to like switch up the coffee I'm drinking. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty big like coffee snob, I guess. And um, we usually make drip coffee here. But the thing is, I drink every like third coffee in my normal life at home, which means I also get to have a cappuccino or something else. And I'm like, okay, I've been doing the same coffee for like three weeks, and I really need to do something something new. So I started making cold brew so I can have cold brew tonic. And then like every night we would drink beer, but like pretty good beer, but still beer. And I'm like, okay, I need to, you know, figure out how to make some cocktails and stuff. Cause like, this is also getting very repetitive and very not stimulating at all. Definitely. You start realizing that you need to find that simulation in different places. So what are your top tips for working from home? So I had seven tips that I shared. Uh, the first one was to when you start working, take your phone, pick it up, put it across the room. I understand that not everybody can do this for their job, but if you're one of those people who is gonna get distracted, yeah, I mean, some people are glued to their phone and I would just say, put it across the room. Don't even give yourself that temptation. This way it helps you focus on the task in front of you. And if you wanna get your phone, then the act of physically getting up shows your desperation. And then at that point, I think it also shows you, okay, if I'm this desperate where I'm getting up across the room to look at my phone, maybe I need to be taking that five minute break right now. I mean, at least you're stretching your legs instead of just like, you know, lounging on the couch. Yeah, my step counter is getting weird these days. Like I went from like 10K steps to like 15. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're all gonna like come out of this like a little bit fatter and then expert drinkers. So. so this will force the society to rethink work and to rethink beauty standards. Personally, I don't work with colleagues, but you see all these memes and everybody talking about like seeing their colleagues in this new light because, you know, they're not dressed up, they're not wearing makeup. So maybe it will change the dynamic of it. But actually, I know that some people find like dressing up in the morning as if they were going to work uh, works better because it, it helps them like separate from like their you know house self yeah 100% that was actually also one of my tips it's something that I do almost every day um, I mean there are the days where I will wear yoga pants or I'm wearing sweatpants or something but most days I put on a pair of jeans because they're uncomfortable for me to sit in um, and this helps put me in that mood and I'm not wearing makeup 
really right now, but I'll put on earrings. I'll put on like a pair of hoop earrings and something like that that I would normally do when I was like going to go out to a cafe or go out to shops or something like puts you in that mode a little bit more um, than sitting around in your yoga pants. And I would say if you're going to wear yoga pants to work, fine, or sweatpants, <laughs> but do not wear the same yoga pants or sweatpants that you wore to bed. That is the slippery slope. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> is this like a quarantine tip or like a general? I mean, it's probably a general life tip. Like if this weekend you're wearing the same sweatpants you've been wearing all weekend, then like, you know. Luckily, I, I, I got a pair of clean ones before sitting here to record this. So. Oh, good. You've, you've dressed up for the occasion. Are you one of those people who sit down and like get into the flow and then just don't get up until they're done or do you take regular breaks and how do you manage them? You know, some days I'm doing copywriting where I need to be like very intense, very creative, very focused on like a few hundred words. And then other days I need to like write 5,000 word articles. If you're doing tasks like that within a day, then I think you definitely need to be breaking it up. I also have three different locations where I'll work in my house. So I have my island, I have my couch, and there's the bed. The bed obviously can be a very slippery slope, as can the couch. But my tips for that are, if you're working from bed, don't do anything big and project-related. Really focus on shooting off emails and things that are quite mindless. And if you're working from the couch, don't turn on the TV. Once you do that, you're just totally in relaxation mode. And then, yeah, I have my island, which I've actually been pushing the chair aside and using as a standing desk. That sounds which, healthy, yeah. Yeah, it does sound healthy until I found myself standing at one point for an entire afternoon. It was like four or five hours. And then my knees were killing me that night. I was like, what the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> I actually started keeping my laptop under my bed so I can actually, when I wake up, immediately do something. Like if I need to send an email, I'm going to do that literally first thing in the morning. And then you kind of like feel much better because you've already done something. You already have one thing to cross out from your to-do list. But can you do that without caffeine? Because... Yes. Okay, I can't. I <laughs> actually have a huge rule against that because obviously you wake up and what's the first thing you do in the morning? Look at your phone. And I look at my phone. I have a ton of clients in the US, a lot of them West Coast. And so that's a nine hour difference. So I wake up and they've just sent me a few emails and sometimes I panic. And then it would be, I'd be shooting off emails to them that actually made zero sense because I had no caffeine in my body. <laughs> One time I sent half a sentence and just sent it and it, there was no conclusion and it just didn't make sense. I was like, okay, never again. <laughs> How did they react? They didn't. <laughs> Oh, okay. I sent, I sent like an apology email um, after I was like, oh, I pressed send too early. Sorry. <laughs> so what's our conclusion about having a routine? Is it a good thing or a bad thing in, in these circumstances? I think a routine in the sense of being able to give yourself scheduled breaks gives you that nice flow throughout the day. And I think what's also really important about a routine is setting these hours that you're actually working. Uh, because if you find yourself, you know, starting at 9.30 when you normally would, but stopping at weird points in the day and then you find yourself working till 10 o'clock at night, you start realizing that maybe one, you weren't as productive, but then also you've worked way too long and now you haven't had enough rest. And then the next day you're starting at the same time all over again. And I think that really screws you up. Is there something that we as freelancers can like teach people with day jobs? Yeah, I mean... Actually, something that I've been thinking about recently was, you know, as freelancers, we're not direct employees. So I feel like we really early on had to learn our boundaries and had to learn how to set these boundaries with our clients. You know, 
I'm not answering emails after this point. I need an invoice paid on time. Um, no, we can't call and have a chat at nine o'clock at night. Um, <laughs> and I feel like in this situation, the lines can really easily get blurred because everybody's working at home. Maybe you have people who aren't keeping to a schedule and they're working later and they want to have a Zoom call with you at nine o'clock at night. And I think it's important to set your boundaries with your colleagues and even with your bosses. Um, even though it might feel foreign and weird, uh, I think it's necessary for your own productivity and definitely sanity. It's like everybody knows you're at home doing nothing. Yeah, but not nothing. Your time off is your time off. Why should everybody be working more right now just because we're at home? Unless they're going to pay you more for those hours, I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> That's another freelance mentality you need to have. Hey there, before we go on, if you like this podcast so far, please consider subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm just starting, this is the episode number one, and I would really appreciate your support. Virtualbeerpodcast.com Apart from being a freelance writer who happens to work for the travel industry, among other things, Kate is also a pretty avid traveler, and... Both of us currently have trips that we had to cancel or reschedule because of the pandemics. Well, I had one trip booked, which I regret booking, um, because I booked it before I realized how bad Corona was and the ticket prices were just dropping. And I did that kind of thing where I was like, eh, it'll be fine. Booked a trip to Madrid. As we all know, uh, Madrid is in a state of crisis. So big regrets there getting my money back. It's fine. Yeah. I had some ideas of what I wanted to do this spring. I was hoping, um, to go to Italy. Yeah, I also wanted to go to Italy. I was like, you know, it would be great going to Italy in March. I was hoping to do something over King's day, which is coming up. I know you like King's day, but for me, I always try and get out of town. No, I don't. But you don't. No, I usually avoid it. Like I, when I was living in Amsterdam, I was avoiding it by coming to Utrecht. Well, that's true. We just spent a couple together. Yeah. And last year, uh, we went to Paris mm. uh, during that time. Oh, that was like, during I just, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but this year I was actually, you know what? I'm going to do King's Day. They say in Rotterdam it's really nice and it basically just feels like a Sunday. There are specific parties around the city, but it's not the entire city like what happens in Amsterdam. Anyways, yeah. So I had some places I wanted to go. Maybe back to Croatia. Definitely wanted to do Greece this summer. But I just... The way things are, I'm I'm not booking anything. I have a wedding in Massachusetts in the U.S. Um, in June. And at this point, I'm not sure if I can even go. Because I don't know if once I get into the country, if I'm going to have to do a two-week quarantine or what. I'm trying to be hopeful that by summer I can put some money aside, book a few trips, support some places that really need the tourism dollars um, and that I've also been dying to go to. But... It's just so unclear right now. But speaking of tourism dollars, apart from a lot of people changing their travel plans for this year, uh, there are bound to be some general effects of the corona crisis on the entire tourism industry. How do you see it changing or how do you expect it to change by the end of the year? Some things are already kind of known. The whole like Airbnb economy is struggling currently, especially those people who would rent a lot of properties, furnish them and then sublet them on Airbnbs. I think like that part is already dying. But also like what will this mean for uh, airlines, for example? Yeah, I think a really interesting thing with the airlines is that 
if you stop running a route, you lose it. So right now they've obviously had to cancel a lot of flights and you have some routes that just aren't even being run right now. So I think it's also going to be interesting to see in a few months and next year who's flying where. There's going to be an interesting shift in dynamics there. I think what people normally don't realize on a consumer side of things, the fact that a route exists doesn't mean that it's profitable like an airline would get a route because it can mm. for a strategic advantage down the line but if you're already running in an unprofitable route you're probably going to cancel it right about now yeah and this is the time where they've already canceled it and you wonder if they're ever going to pick it up again this happened before corona but in the uk you had fly go under and so now you have all of these smaller airports in the UK that just aren't going to be serviced anymore. And obviously you have people there who are concerned and, you know, they're wondering if someone else is going to come in and even take them or if they're just going to be totally unserviced. And so we also wonder if entire airports across Europe, I mean, this is where we're located, but I think this might change around the world as well, if they're going to go under. And then that obviously affects not only the travel industry, but that entire community. A pretty hot topic, I think, in the States recently has been should taxpayer dollars rescue airlines or not? Uh, what's your stance on that, if you have it? To be honest, I think it's tricky. And I think that um, you get into a bit of dangerous territory when you start bailing out any kind of private industry. But at the same time, if you're seeing populations being completely underserved, then I think you do need to have a hard look at how the government can help and then serve that community rightly. Otherwise, there might be these greater impacts. Um, so I think it would need to be taken on a case-by-case -case basis. I don't think it's something that can be assessed uh, as a whole. So as a result of all this, do you think that um, the flight prices will be much more expensive, like, I don't know, six months from now? I think so. I think for the past few years, we've seen flight prices go down drastically, especially when you're looking at transatlantic flights. I'm just saying that because I travel back to the US twice a year. So it's something that, that I've... still like boggles <laughs> my mind. How can you run a transatlantic flight as a low cost? Like, it, ugh, okay. <laughs> well, it, it, I think it's separating out the economy classes. You know, you have basic economy, you have premium economy, you have regular economy. So you have all these people who are, you know, you have the people who are willing to pay a bit more for legroom, the ones who are okay paying that regular price, and the ones who say, whatever, I don't care. I'm bringing a backpack, even though I'm going to go to the US for two <laughs> weeks <laughs> because I want this flight for 300 euros and I'm willing to do anything. Yep. But yeah, in general, I think we're also going to see price hikes because if you have fewer routes, then you're going to have people fighting to be in these seats. People who were able to go on their spring and summer holidays, if everything's back to quote-unquote normal in the fall are going to want to be taking those vacation days and if there's only a certain amount of routes running i think the airlines are going to take advantage of that they're going to hike up the prices and yeah well i don't totally agree with it i understand because they're losing big dollars right now and when it comes to other travel costs like hotels well airbnbs obviously i don't expect there's going to be that many airbnbs anymore uh after this really no because like especially with um that part of the Airbnb economy, when people just rent flats and then sublet them, that's probably going to die out. And I think it's a good thing because we had some pretty bad problems with it in Amsterdam where people turned entire streets into hotels 
through Airbnb and yeah. in the city and Airbnb itself were kind of like bickering about it and bouncing the responsibility back and forth for a number of years. But then on the other hand, you have those, you know, like actual Airbnbs in like remote places around the world where they are a good thing for the local economy. So I do hope that part will remain. Yeah, I mean, I actually completely agree with that. Um, and I think it's going to be a good thing because half the time, the a lot of these Airbnbs that are run in Amsterdam, for example... They have no character. They're actually really crappy. Um, maybe they look good in the photos, but they're not actually giving you any sort of nice experience. It's obviously not good for the people who own them, but I think it's going to improve the entire Airbnb experience to like uh, flush these things out. <laughs> it's going to bring it back to what it used to be. Yeah, the, remember the early days of Airbnb? And that, I mean, that's when I started yeah. using it and fell in love with it. When you know you slept in someone's house or you slept on their couch or in their spare bedroom. Um, And you got this really at-home experience. And I think, yeah, Airbnb's entire model has completely changed since then. Well, anything on a larger scale is no longer sustainable, basically. And I think Airbnb is a good example of that. I've seen some hotels in Holland already trying to adapt to the situation. Uh, there's a hotel in Amsterdam that changed their rooms into remote working offices so instead of renting a room you can just go there and work for the day and like they bring you lunch to your room or oh that's cool yeah and it's uh it's cheaper than it used to be because apparently the parts with the beds are sectioned off so you can't really like go there and sleep unless you pay extra uh but yeah if you if you want to just work for the day uh get away from your family your house whatever uh that can be a pretty good solution actually that sounds amazing i want to go I think a lot of hotels are getting really creative right now, especially with all of these vouchers that they're putting out. Uh, you're seeing a lot of hotels saying, you know, you can get two nights or three nights for the price of two, uh, five nights for the price of four. So I think if you know that you're going to take a trip later this year and you know that there was a place you already wanted to stay, like now is the time to book that hotel because I think you can get a great deal and you're supporting someone who actually needs your dollars right now so they don't lay off their entire staff. I think you touched on a pretty scary thing in this entire situation that uh, people don't usually think about. The hospitality sector is not made out of like those big entities. The businesses themselves don't have to close. But if you work in a restaurant as a waiter and you don't have any tables to wait on, you can lose your job. And that's why it's important to support especially smaller businesses at this point, because like as long as they can keep paying their staff, it's going to be better for like them, for the staff, and for the economy afterwards. Yeah, and what this also brings up is something that I'm really passionate about, which is boutique hotels, uh, because you get this really unique experience. You know, you're not just staying at a Marriott or an NH or a Hilton. Not like there's anything wrong with them, but you're getting this unique experience. And I think you're going to be taking less vacation days this year. And if you're going to support somebody, I think it's really good to support these boutique hospitality um, companies as much as you can. And also indulge in them because you're going to get an experience that is so much more different and a lot more unique a lot more experiential. Yeah, we keep hearing about voting with our wallets. Well, this is the time to do it. <laughs> Support the businesses that you personally want to stay in business after this. 
Well, on that note, uh, are there any like good things that can uh, come out of this? I already said I hope that the mass Airbnb fueled over tourism will kind of die down. I don't have anything against Airbnb itself, but I think in like bigger capitals uh, around the world, it has become a problem and nobody has actually properly tackled it so far. Yeah, definitely. So this is a good opportunity to reassess things. And I think in life in general, it's a good time to reassess things. That I think, sounds like very scary as well. <laughs> well, I think it's an interesting time to really look at things and, and realize what you're grateful for. And I know that sounds really idealistic, but you know, when it comes to work a lot, you know, we all complain about work and going into work or meeting clients. And I think at the end of this, we're all going to be really happy to get up and get on a train and go somewhere. And I think we're also, when it comes to travel, going to be really excited to explore places in more authentic and deeper ways and really appreciate them a lot more than maybe what we were doing before. Yeah, I used to complain a lot about commuting for work and now I actually miss it. Like I haven't left the house for three weeks and... Yeah, and I can't wait to get on a rush hour train with, with everybody. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> wow, oh, I God. never thought I would say that. <laughs> well, uh, times change and people change as well. <laughs> well, thank you for this conversation. Um, we were a bit drunk at this point. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> But it's been fun. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of your first episode. So uh, you can find Kate at uh, katemischuk.com or at Postcards from Kate on Twitter and Instagram. You can find this podcast's show notes at virtualbeerpodcast.com slash one. Virtual Beer.